I want us to go to James 3. We're going to kind of finish this little discussion of James. Um, what we've been doing since the beginning of December is talking about things that Jesus and his followers had to say about justice. And we've been talking in particular about, uh, we, we were talking about the poor uh, the last couple of weeks. Today we're going to talk about how this adds up with, um, with how we talk. Now next week we're launching a new study I'm pretty excited about. Um, and we'll be in, um, if you want to read just one chapter, we're going we're gonna to kind of hang out in 2 Samuel 7 next week, uh, which is over in the Old Testament. But it, this one will be hard to track because we're going to go fa- back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament because I'm going to be dealing with, for the next quarter, up, up uh, until Easter time and through that, with um, the fulfilled prophecies about Jesus in Old Testament Scripture. So um, I'm really excited about the study. I've done a little bit of this study before, and I'm going to do a different study this time. So uh, anyway, that next week we'll kind of start on that by looking at uh, David's kingdom in 2 Samuel 7, if you want to read that chapter, and um, that's kind of where we'll be. Now, have you ever heard, we started last week with some adages that you're kind of maybe lived by in your home. This was not one that we lived by in my home, but I heard it a lot growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Have you ever heard a bigger lie in your life? (laughs) It's just not true, is it? Isn't it interesting how we can quote those things to even little bitty children, and we're lying through our teeth? It's not true. In fact, I'd probably rather take John a punch in the nose than for you to say you're ugly, and your mom dresses you funny. You know, I mean... (laughs) Okay. Now, by the way, I don't want John to punch me in the nose. That's not because he's he's bigger than me a little bit, and he'd probably break my nose. Uh, which, by the way, um, send send uh, get well cards to LeBron James if you'd like for this week. But um, wow, he broke his nose. I guess according to the paper yesterday. Um, anyway, now uh, we hear a lot in this country ad nauseum about free speech, right? Speech uh, in, in the United States is free. But the truth is, couldn't be, that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, words are costly. And James is going to deal with that in our, in our talk today. Uh, Joe has evidently read ahead. Here's Joe's tome for the day. This is good. The tongue. You ready? This little muscle between our teeth that aids our speech and helps us eat if can, uh, it can change into an evil thing, like a two-edged sword that's not ours to swing. It can, make, uh, it can make find us a lifelong friend, or it can cause a friendship to end. We must take care in how it is used, for without rain it can be abused. And he ends with, be careful, little tongue, what you say. You know? <laughs> Isn't that good? That's really, thank you, Joe. That's really good. Now, I want you to go with me, before, before we go into this, I want you to go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. I'm going to read just rapid fire uh, over, it, it, and really we're only going to have to turn the page two or three times uh, to read what Solomon and the other writers of the Proverbs have to say about, I believe all of these are Solomon's, by the way, about the tongue. He has a lot to say about it. Um, and... Um, so we're going to start with 10.8. Uh-oh. We're going to start with 
Now, I really believe, in fact, I did a study of the book of James in a Bible study at one time, and I pulled a, uh, and, and by the way, this is, good, this is a good way to cheat if you'd like, like I cheat all the time. So um, um, I, I pulled from Mardell or ordered it online or something, uh, uh, a study on the uh, uh, study guide on James from Chuck Swindoll. And, I mean, of course, he did lots of my homework for me. And, um, but Swindoll's study of James, he went back and forth from Proverbs to James to Proverbs to James because they parallel uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. <clears throat> this study in James, uh, the Proverbs has a lot of similar things to say. So I'm going to go through, I'm, I'm just going to rapid fire. We're going to go through several of the Proverbs here. 10.8, the wise heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Look at verse uh, 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 31, same chapter. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. That doesn't sound very pleasant. That's going to leave a mark. Okay, 11.9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Verse 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Okay, let's go to 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that really, that's kind of beautiful. Uh, go to chapter 15. 15, one. a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 7, same chapter. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. Uh, chapter 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. Isn't that good? And adds persuasiveness to his lips. And 17.28, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Isn't that good? Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Isn't that good? That's, uh, that's uh, uh, you know, um, keep your mouth shut and, and uh, be thought, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay, that's, kinda, that's, that's that one. It's not a proverb, but it kind of fits that proverb. Okay, now, let's talk today a little bit about costly speech. All right? Uh, Bob, so good to have you back. Do you mind to read the first couple of verses of James 3? Okay, now, is James saying here, if, if James were in front of you, the 200 or so of us in here, would he say, I don't want any of you to teach? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. In fact, I, I think what he's talking about here is motive, for one thing. That's, that's something to put in your uh, blank there. Motives. I've got to take a careful, if I'm going to teach, I've got to take a careful inventory of my motive. 
Jesus in Matthew 9 is going to say, uh, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into the field. So obviously, it, it's, he's interested in people sharing the gospel, teaching the gospel, teaching the Bible. But there is a tendency for you and I to take the good things of God and use them for selfish purposes. And that's what he's kind of warning about here. Okay? There's also a tendency for my, my teaching to not line up with my life. And in particular, in this chapter, he's talking about my speech. So I've got to be really careful with that. A teacher's responsibility is just magnified. It's under a magnifying glass. Okay. Um, can I tell you? I feel the responsibility of that every day. A teacher's responsibility is just magnified. That's kind of what he's dealing with here. Um, so he's, if he's not saying um, uh, don't teach, what he's saying is if you're going to teach, then rise to the occasion. Okay? Um, be consistent. And we're going to talk a lot today about consistency. Now, uh, in verse 2, He's going to talk about control, and we're going to use, uh, he's going to use several uh, metaphors here to describe control, but, uh, or control of, the, uh, of speech and what we say. And um, what I think he's trying to get at here in, in the second verse, um, we all stumble in many ways, but th- listen to how he says this. This is interesting. If you don't stumble in what you say, you're a perfect man or woman. Able to bridle the whole body as well. So if, when I look at the list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, um, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and the last one, self-control, you know, uh, and it, it says against such things there is no law. Um, when I look at that last one, self-control, what I think James may be saying here is that the most difficult of my behavior behaviors to control is what I say is my speech is actually what goes in the blank. In fact, James is indicating here that if you can control your mouth, the rest of it's kind of a short putt. Isn't that interesting? Jolly, you remember our favorite third grade teacher? What I remember... I didn't remember this when, and I was in, wasn't in her class. But what I remember is, by the way, Darla was in my mother's third grade class. That's where this comes from. I do remember that when I would come to visit from Kentucky, and she'd be all excited to see me, we'd sometimes get in town in the middle of the afternoon. We'd go by school to see her first when she was still teaching. And, um, and I'd, I'd go by the class, and she'd, she'd give the class some assignment. She'd spend five minutes or so out in the hallway with us. And she'd hear, you know, kind of a murmur, like we had... Uh, uh, right, you know, right before class, as you hear a murmur. And she'd step inside the room, turn the lights off. Now, there was ambient light in the room, so it wasn't that, like they're in pitch dark. But she'd turn the lights off. I don't know if she did this to you or not. she turned the lights off, she'd say, uh, do you folks have mouth trouble? <laughs> uh, and interesting, and she loved every one of them, and every kid she ever teach, she loved, uh, taught she loved. But, but I, I want to say, okay, if I can deal with mouth trouble, maybe, maybe I can kind of control the rest of this. Now, while that's encouraging, I think its point is, is that controlling your tongue is a really, really hard thing. Really, really, and, and by the way, be careful. I wrote in my notes, be careful. Don't overestimate your control of your tongue. 
because you're going to stumble over it if you do. Okay? So this issue of self-control, um, if I can get this, I may be able to get more complete control over the rest of my life. Okay? So he's going to use then, uh, as we go on, uh, in verse 3, 4, and 5, he's going to use three metaphors here to talk about um, this daunting challenge of uh, controlling the tongue. Now, Bob, since I only got you to read two verses, would you read 3, 4, and 5 now? Got to go back to it, don't you? Okay. Okay, three metaphors we're going to talk about. Mr. Bailey, can I, can I prevail on you a second? How much does a horse's bit weigh, probably? Uh, maybe, one of you guys. Troy, what does it weigh? A pound or two? Uh, less than a pound? Okay. Okay, okay, I'm going to say half a pound. Okay, but be on the high side. What does a horse weigh? A thousand or more? Could be a ton? Could a thousand to two? If you're talking about a Clydesdale or something like that? Okay. But a, a typical horse weighs 1,000 pounds. So here's, here's the ratio, all right? A half a pound of metal can control a 1,000 pound of horse. That's pretty incredible to me. Okay, that's his first metaphor, a horse's, a horse's bit. Okay, second one then is a ship's rudder. Now, we're going we're gonna to multiply this thing. Okay, rudder, you're right, rudder does this. A ship can weigh millions of tons. Okay, all right? And a, a, a rudder may weigh a ton, may, something like that, okay? So you've got a ship's rudder. The, the, the ratio is interesting. And so he says, you know, a, a, a relatively light bit can control a 1,000-pound horse or a, a relatively, at least so speaking, rudder can turn a massive ship. And then he turns the argument on its head. He said, but the tongue. Okay, so he's going to kind of turn this thing over. And he says, but the tongue is like a fire's spark. You see how he, okay, in a positive way, a bit can direct a horse and rider. In a positive way, uh, the pilot of a ship can direct a ship uh, with, with a relatively small rudder. But the, in much the same way, a tongue is like somebody who throws a cigarette this week into dry grass. Okay, that's, that's the image here. A fire's spark. Though small, the tongue is not easily controlled. Now, it's a challenge, he's saying here. Right? Your tongue can control your whole destiny in some ways. Okay, let's read. Bob, coming back to you. You ready? Can you read six through eight? Okay.
Come on, James, tell us what you really mean. <laughs> How practical is this teaching? Now, by the way, I'm going I'm to take you to a place that, that I'm hesitant to take you to, but I want, you, I want you to go there anyway. I want you to think about a time either in your past or, or maybe even recently when somebody's words have hurt you. Okay? That's, that's not, okay, I don't want you to admit it. I don't want you to stand up and say, well, you know, Katie called me a no-good dirty rat, okay? <laughs> no, that's not it. Think of a time recently when somebody's words, unminded, hurt you in some way. Okay? Now, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm yeah, that, that's dangerous, isn't it? Because now you're going to be depressed the rest of the day. Uh, now, what I want to say about this, and the reason I wanted to bring that up, is because you know where that pain comes from? You know where that pain comes from? James says that pain comes from hell. He says, if I read it right, he says the power of speech to harm is ignited by hell. Now, the word that he chooses, he chooses a word carefully uh, to describe hell here. It's a word that actually uh, was used for a couple of different things in the New Testament. It's the word Gehenna or Gehenna. Okay, uh, I looked it up this morning to make sure it was that word he used, and it is. Um, and it was originally used to refer to a valley outside of Jerusalem that was the kind of the city garbage dump. Okay? It was the place where so much refuse and garbage had been dumped that there was a fire smoldering in it all the time. Okay? So it's a place you just didn't want to hang out. Imagine the putrid smell of all that stuff both rotting and then burning. Just not a place you want to hang out in, right? And James uses the, the idea here that it's that place. It, it's hell. It's, um, um, we're going to kind of think about that. We're to think about the very depths of wickedness and all of its horror. Um, think of hell, uh, which is that place that Jesus talked about um, that is reserved for Satan and his minions and those who follow him. And the truth is, it is that power. That force that ignites the tongue when it hurts. Now, there's a disturbing point here. The power of Satan, which, crime, which Christ came to defeat, is unleashed in the world through the human tongue. <laughs> but it's true, right? Gloria? Isn't it interesting, Gloria, that uh, when, I, when I referenced Galatians 5, 22 and 23 a minute ago, and we were talking about self-control and how the tongue is the hardest part of our self-control, that's in a larger discussion about the control of the Spirit over those areas of our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, tongue control. It's the Spirit who's going to control this. You're right. Okay, now, but in order for us to get there, we've got to kind of make the case for how desperate this issue is. And in verse 7, he, he goes on to say that the power to tame the tongue 
uh, or the power to tame has an alarming uh, limitation. In other words, he's going to reference you can tame an animal, okay? You can tame an animal, uh, whether or not you're a Seahawks fan. I thought it was interesting to watch how they had that big chicken hawk there, whatever it was that they, you know, and pretty tame. Um, um, if you, John, they can kind of halfway tame Bevo. You know, Bevo shows up and doesn't wreak havoc when he goes to a ball game, even though there's lots of noise. Okay. Uh, I think of, uh, back to the, the horse reference, I think of sometimes when I'm, when I'm in a parade or something, they've got huge teams of horses, and there's lots and lots of noise. And I think, well, how do they keep from spooking those? But they've been trained. They've been tamed to a degree. Um, uh, our friend Steve is kind of a horse whisperer. He can tame them by, uh, without a, a bit and bridle sometimes. And it, that's kind of a wonderful thing to see. Well, yes. You know, there's a book that, that if, if you want to study more on this, there's a book called Words Can Hurt, Words Can Heal. And the truth is, the tongue can be soothing as well. We've read about that in, uh, in, in Proverbs. But the power to tame has this kind of an amazing limitation. Uh, uh, Siegfried and Roy can tame a tiger... But, you know, maybe I need to package up my tongue and send it to them and say, would you tame this bad boy? Okay? It's an amazing limitation. All right? Now, I, I want to share with you a couple of things that's kind of alarming. I, I think of places in our society where uh, the taming of the tongue is rampant, uh, or not done. The, the problem with the lack of taming the tongue is rampant. And, and the place that I begin to think about in our current society is the, what I would call the blight of the bully. Okay? Uh, Rhonda and I talked about this, this a little bit over, over the weekend. And I don't want you to think just about in grade school. Okay? Because adults can be bullies too. Uh, maybe you've been bullied at your office. Maybe you've been bullied uh, in, in some kind of a group you've been part of. Uh, listen to these statistics. When it comes to verbal bullying... This type of bullying is the most common type. About 77% of all students are bullied verbally in some way or another, including mental bullying or even verbal abuse. Uh, these types of bullying can also include spreading rumors, yelling obscenities or other derogatory terms based on an individual's race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, etc. Out of the 77, so first of all, we've got to catch this. 77% of school-aged children are bullied at some time. Of those 77%, 14% have a severe or bad reaction to the abuse, according to, to recent school bullying statistics. These numbers make up the students that experience poor self-esteem, depression, anxiety about going to school, even suicidal thoughts. Do you know that they have created a term to describe kids that take their lives their lives as a result of bullying. It's called bully side. How bad is this? It's a blight on our society. Um, also, as part of this study, about one in five students admitted they're responsible for bullying their peers. So those who are bullied often bully others, right? Um, um, okay, one of the most unfortunate parts of these school bullying statistics is that in about 85% of the bullying cases, no intervention or effort is made by a teacher or an administration member of the school to stop the bullying from taking place. And I, I read that and I'm thinking, but how do you fix it? I mean, I mean how, would, how would you do it? Um, 
uh, and it talks about how the trend may be a little better, but it's still alarming. That just breaks my heart. It hurts me, you know. Um, when Rhonda was a little girl, she was fair-skinned, freckled, and wore glasses really early. And she began to talk to me about how people were merciless making uh, kids making fun of her. And then we shifted and fast-forward and said, but which hurt more, that or being bullied as an adult? Isn't it interesting? Those of us who should know better still can, can hurt others with this tongue that is so desperate to be tamed. Now, James is going to say that there is a glaring contradiction here. Okay, if, if, um, if this problem with my tongue includes fault-finding, uh, includes uh, speculation and talking about that, includes gossip, all these kinds of things, then... Um, then he's going to say there's a glaring contradiction that you and I have got to deal with as he makes his case. Somebody go to verse 9 and read down through 12. Okay, now, I'm going to use a slang expression here, so stick with me, okay? Have you ever been around somebody and somebody was using some particular oath and another uh, kind of wise person around them, not a wise or a wise guy around them, said, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? You ever heard that? Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Okay, all right, I've heard that before. It, the idea somewhat comes from here. Uh, literally, James is saying, do you praise Jesus with that mouth? Do you praise God with that mouth? The same mouth he's saying. There's an amazing here um, speech that does not consistently reflect God's grace contradicts the gospel, he says. Do you use the same mouth to praise God but then curse some other person or hurt some other person? That's the issue here. To criticize or malign another person. Now, what I'm going to deal with, and Gloria, thanks for stealing my thunder about 10 minutes ago, but that's okay. It's all right. You just want to make sure I'm on the right track, right? You know, part of a preacher's responsibility is to create the problem. And then, by the way, lots of preaching I heard in my young life, they would dangle us over the pits of hell and then never tell us how to get out of there, you know? Okay? So now we're shifting to that. All right? If, if critical speech... If maligning speech, if, if hurtful speech is contradictory to the gospel, if all of that, if, if, I, if James just says it's ridiculous to think about the person who praises God and hurts others with the same tongue. If that's true, then what am I going to do about it? I'm going to submit to you that I believe the Bible is saying here that my speech reveals something about my heart. Okay? My question is, what does your speech reveal about your heart? Reading a little book that, that so far at least I would recommend. I've only gotten three or four chapters into it. Kyle Eidelman, you know that name? Wrote, um, I think his most uh, read book so far is Not a Fan, if you've read Not a Fan. 
He's written one called God's at War that someone gave me back uh, a couple months ago. And, and Kyle is talking about, he uses an illustration here. I could tell it, but I want to read some of it to you because I really believe he captures the essence of it. Let's think about your heart, and we'll do it by imagining a scenario. You're out for a hike on a beautiful spring day. You're delighted to hear running water, and sure enough, you come to a creek. Kyle lives in Kentucky, so I can, I can put that in my head. I can remember that creek. But there's something wrong with this picture. You notice that someone has dumped trash into the stream, an ugly sight. There's refuse floating on the water. Judging by some of the empty soda cans, the trash has been there a while. And there's an ugly film on top of the water. You can't just leave the scene as you found it because it would bother your conscience, so you stoop down and begin gathering the trash. It actually takes several hours before you can begin to see a difference. It's amazing how much junk is there. You sit back and you rest for a moment and realize you'll have to keep returning every day until the site's truly clean. Well, that's okay. It's a project you'll be proud of. Except when you come back the next day, it's as if your work was undone. In fact, there's more trash than before. Somehow the garbage bred overnight. You think about the unlikelihood of someone coming to this very spot to dump their garbage in a few hours while you were away, and you realize that something smells fishy, so to speak. So you begin to follow the creek upstream. Sure enough, you come to a garbage dump that's been there for years. It's emptying into the passing creek. Your cleaning job only opened up a gap for more stuff to settle. You could go and clean every day, but it'd just be like pushing a boulder up the hill and watching it roll back down. And he says, which is surprisingly fun, but what's the point? Um, now, do you catch the, picture, the mental picture here that, that Kyle is painting? If I go upstream from a hurtful tongue, I'm going to find a hurtful heart. If I go upstream from, from, a, from a mouth that is critical, a spirit that's critical, I'm going to, if, I, if I just kind of follow the stream upstream, I'm going to find a garbage dump up there somewhere in my heart. And that's what I've got to deal with. I've got to deal with the source, Gloria, of the crud that's coming out of my mouth. Now, to me it's simple to recognize that, but not as easy to fix. Um, What does my speech reveal about my heart? I've got to kind of deal with that. Lord, where am I offensive here? And how am I going to deal with this? So James asks a rhetorical question here in verse 11 and following. He just says, um, um, can fresh and funky water come from the same spring? Now, remember we talked about rhetorical questions a few days ago? What does a rhetorical question mean? It means the question implies the answer. The answer is no in this case. Can nasty water and fresh water come from the same spring? Can hurtful, derogatory speech come from a clean heart? No. No. You catch it here? So the problem is a heart condition. Not really, Darla, mouth trouble, as mom used to say. The problem is a heart condition. But here's the good news. Do you know, I serve a Jesus 
who is in the business of heart renovation. I serve a Jesus, a, a Jesus who even the Old Testament prophets said can take a heart of stone and make it soft like flesh. He can do that. I've got to be willing for him to do that. But he's in the business of doing that. The greatest cardiologist in history is your Savior. Can I tell you that? He knows what, what causes your heart to literally beat. And I'm going to tell you, he also knows what's inside your heart. Now, I want you to go with me back to the book of Proverbs. Okay? I want to read two verses again that we read before. And I want us to be sure that we camp out here. If the justice of Jesus will reign, it will be because I allow him to reign in my heart. If the justice of Jesus will change the way I relate to other people. It will be because he touches my heart and that has a, a trickle-down effect on my tongue and how I treat people, how I talk to them and about them. If I claim to be his, then I should speak as he does. Now, Proverbs twelve eighteen. somebody read it. Stay there for a second, Steve. Help me to get it right. Reckless words do what? Reckless words are like a sword. And they cut sticks and stones. That whole thing is bunk. Reckless words can pierce the heart. But, but, here's the beauty of it. Don't, don't miss the B part of the verse. Read it again, Steve. My tongue can bring healing. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. In, in, my, in my dealing with my children, in my dealings with my spouse, with my good friends, my not-so-good friends, my coworkers, I want, when my mouth opens, for it to have a healing quality to it. Okay? And by the way, that's not just talking about dealing with bad breath, okay? That's another deal. Okay. My words, my mouth can bring healing. Pat? We are exposing our heart. Your words expose your heart. Oh, that's a good thought. You're right. It kind of gives my heart up. You're right. Okay, let's go to one more. 1623. And then we're done. Somebody read that one? Here's the deal. Remember, you got to go upstream. A wise person's heart instructs his lips. A wise person's heart instructs his mouth. Now, here's my question. If the Lord has truly done surgery on your heart, then am I allowing my now cleaned up heart to inform my mouth. <laughs> a wise person's heart instructs his lips. You catch that? Now, by the way, that can be true negatively and positively, can't it? That, that my heart instructs my lips. 
A not-so-wise person also has their heart instructed in their lips a little bit too, right? But it's talking about a wise follower. Okay, so. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look upstream. We do that today. Can I just ask you to do that? I, I, I really don't want you to, to I, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's, I think it's kind of an exercise in futility to say to you, I want you to kind of study in the next seven days what you do with your tongue. You know, uh, walk, write down all your words, you know, I don't know where I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the, the, the project I want you to do is much more effective. It's not simpler, frankly. It's a little more sophisticated, in fact. I'm going to ask you to walk upstream to the source of what you're saying and say, Lord, you can do this in in worship today. You can do it right now at your table. You can do it in between here and there. Lord, what's the condition of my heart? I know I hurt someone in the last seven days. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of what that says about the condition of my heart. Would you do some surgery as the great cardiologist? Would you make my heart clean? Do you believe that God would answer that prayer for you? I know he will. I know he will. And as he cleans up your heart, then ask your heart, now cleaned, now with the garbage surgically removed, ask your heart to inform your lips and your tongue. Well, I've kind of enjoyed this study. I hope you've enjoyed it some. We'll be over, we're going to really start connecting the dots uh, uh, over the next few weeks between the Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament and the one that we received. And uh, so that's where we'll be.